how do we walk with God? How do we talk with God um, over the course of one's life? How do we pray? Uh, Jesus says that when we pray, we ought to start by looking up, then looking out, then looking in. We start by looking up, by getting right with God. See, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, he doesn't want us to call him boss. He doesn't want us to call him sir. He wants, to call, he wants us to call him dad. He, he sent his son from heaven to earth, as we just sang, to seek us and to save us, to draw us in, to welcome us into his family. So we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? You're a good, good Father. Having started off on the right foot, we can keep going. Uh, after, looking out, we look, or after looking up, we look out. And what we see when we look out is a beautiful but broken world. Uh, and we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Everything that's good and beautiful and true, we want to see more of, made better even. We want to flourish We also want everything wrong to be made right, every hurt to be healed, everyone on the outside to be welcomed in. After looking up, after looking out, it's time to look in. We pray, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is what we're going to spend the rest of our time this semester doing, sort of looking in, praying these petitions. It starts with, give us this day our daily bread. Now, bread has been and is even to this day a staple food that's important to all people all around the world. In biblical Greek, the word for bread is artos, synonymous with food. In Arabic, the, bread for, or the word for bread is ash, which is the same word for life. The idea is bread is life. It consists of three simple ingredients, water, salt, and flour. These ingredients aren't much by themselves, but when you put them together, uh, they have this almost magical ability to sustain human life. Uh, One um, food scientist uh, out of some California school has made the point that if I gave you flour and salt and water and you just ingested those things by themselves, you could live for a few days. But if you combine them together and you bake it into bread, you can live almost indefinitely. It's very cool. When we look up and we pray, give us this day our daily bread, what we're asking God to do is to give us everything that we need to survive. Everything that we need to live uh, in this world, not just physically, but spiritually as well. And the story that we're going to look at tonight is a story of of Jesus doing just that, of him giving folks daily bread. What you'll see tonight is him meeting the needs of a bunch of physically and spiritually tired, sort of wiped out people. You'll see him do uh, this in extraordinary sort of care in very ordinary means. And thirdly, uh, what I hope you see are the benefits of praying this prayer. Give us this day uh, our daily bread. We're going to look at Mark 6. Um, Mark is a gospel writer, uh, and he wrote uh, a gospel, which is really a story about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We're going to pick up at chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 30 to 44. It's up here on the screen. If you have an app on your phone, a Bible app, you can pull it up on your phone. There's also some free Bibles on the table. Please take one home with you. If you don't have one, we're glad to gift it to you. But I'm just going to turn there myself. Mark 6, uh, starting at verse 30. Now the apostles returned to Jesus, and they told him all that they had done and taught. 
And Jesus said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure, not even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, Well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five, and two fish. Then he commanded them to all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups, by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the baskets were five thousand men. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for bringing us together uh, again on a Wednesday night uh, to gather us uh, around food, uh, pizza, to feed our our stomachs full, but not just that, to gather around your word, which you also intend to feed us from. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see what needs to be seen, to hear what we need to hear, to receive and to believe. I pray these things uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want you to see tonight from this passage is that Jesus gives daily bread to a bunch of physically and spiritually worn out people. Okay, the crowds in this passage are tired because they've been running all day long. They don't have the newest Nikes on, and nobody's cheering them off from the sidelines, handing out orange slices and little triangle cups of Gatorade. Okay. In verse 33 we see a bunch of people running on foot from all of the towns in order to catch up with Jesus and the disciples. They're tired. They're hungry. And the disciples are too. They're not just tired and hungry. They're hangry. You know that feeling, right? When you're tired, you're hungry, kind of grouchy and irritable. That's the disciples. See, they've been working their butts off. So much so that they had no leisure even to eat. You see that in verse 31. Jesus knows that they're tired and hungry. He knows that they're hangry. So he says, hey, put your stuff down. Let's go on a retreat. I know just the spot. It's quiet. It's out in the wilderness. There's going to be no distractions. There's going to be no interruptions. It's going to be great. So come over. Let's rest for a while. And the disciples are down. Right? They pack their lunch and they set off. But as soon as they get to the other side, what they see is a bunch of people who are waiting for them. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. You've been working really hard. Finally, you think you're going to catch a break. Finally, you're going to come up for some sort of air, and all of a sudden, something's happening that sort of feels like they're just sort of pushing your head back down. Have you ever experienced that? Some nodding heads. Yeah. 
if that has ever been you, you know exactly what the disciples are feeling in this particular moment. They're probably thinking murderous thoughts. Like, I'm going to kill these people. <laughs> like, ruined my vacation with Jesus. They're exhausted, they're grouchy, they're hangry. And the tension that starts sort of subsurface really starts to break uh, above the surface in verses 35 and 36. Listen to what they say. They say, look, we're in the middle of nowhere, right? This place is desolate. It's getting late. We still haven't eaten. Send these people home. Tell them to fend for themselves. Everyone in the story is at their sort of at the end of their rope. They're worn out physically. They're worn out spiritually. And maybe that's how some of you in this room feel right now. Uh, I know it's sort of that time in the semester. Uh, You've been running hard. You're more than halfway through. You've taken a bunch of midterm examinations. Finals are sort of just around the bend. Projects are starting to come due. And you can't wait to take a break. You're tired, and I get it, right? College is a lot of work. But for many of you, for many of you, right, your physical exhaustion is not just the consequence of staying up late, doing homework. It's not just the consequence of maybe having skipped breakfast or even dinner. If you did, there's pizza over there, okay? Right? Your physical exhaustion is actually a, simper, uh, uh, is actually a symptom uh, of something much deeper, uh, a much bigger problem. Almost everyone uh, in this room does a great job working. And almost everyone in this room does a terrible job resting. And it's catching up with you. It was a hot summer here in Vermont. We don't have air conditioning. Hardly anyone does. Uh, But we put a a fan in Willa's room uh, at the start of the summer. And we let that fan just go, just constantly. We plugged it in, and we never unplugged it. We never turned it off. And in August, well, excuse me, in June, July, when we like, first plugged it in, it was running great, just whirring along. But by the end of August, it was making a horrible sound. It was going like, chunk, 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 chunk. It didn't sound good. And maybe that's kind of what your life sounds like right now. Right? Chunk, 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 chunk. <laughs> It was working great in August, like the first week of school, and maybe working great in the second, but now it's October and it's sounding terrible. You don't sound good. You don't look good. You don't feel good. Yeah. You look great, Steve. You also went on the fall retreat, so you have the leg up. It doesn't look great. It doesn't sound great. It doesn't feel like it's working all that great because... You've been working tirelessly because, like this fan, you've been going and going and going and going, working without ceasing, never unplugging, never taking time to rest. You are not stronger than the machine. For many and most of you, okay, your physical exhaustion mirrors your spiritual exhaustion. See, when we open up the Bibles, what we discover on page one is a God who speaks all things into existence and who also speaks to you and me, which is pretty cool. 
Okay, he speaks loud and clear from the pages of scriptures. And what he says on page one is that you and I are made in his image. He tells us on page one that we have intrinsic dignity and worth. That who we are matters far more than what we do. That we are human beings, not human doings. He also says that when we put our faith and trust in Christ, which comes several pages later, he says that when we put our faith and trust in Christ, our sins are forgiven and we are welcomed into the family of God. The words that God speaks over Jesus at his baptism are the same words he speaks over us at ours. You are my beloved child. You're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. With you, I am well pleased. And many of you know this theologically. All right. This truth has entered into your brain. But it's yet to work its way into your heart. It's yet to sort of penetrate your heart and permeate your life. See, the reason why you work so hard seven days a week, never taking a day off, is because you still think that you need to prove your worth to God to others. You still think that you need to prove yourself. You would never boast that you've tied your worth to your work. You'd never brag about that to me or to somebody else. But instead, what you say is, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. See, being busy has become one of the most common phrases in America. It seems at times that our obsession with busyness has less to do with our calendars and more to do with our egos, says one social scientist. Right? Being busy conveys I'm needed. I'm important. I'm productive. Right? I'm valuable. I have worth. The reason why you're so busy and so physically exhausted is because you're spiritually exhausted. It's because you've believed the lie, which America sells hard, by the way, that you are only as good as your last performance, that your work proves your worth, and that you cannot rest until you're the best. So what's going on in here plays itself out here. You work seven days a week and you do not rest. And consequently, you are exhausted. Look, I am a byproduct of this culture just as much as you are. I know what this feels like. I've been there. I sometimes catch myself going there. Like, I know what it's like to be tired and hungry, not just physically, but spiritually. And I know that this is who we are nearly every single day of our lives and will be unless we come to Jesus. Because I know that if this is how Jesus finds us, and it is, he finds us spiritually and physically worn out. If this is how he finds us, I know for a fact that that's not how he intends to leave us. Come to me, he says, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls.
For my yoke is easy, Jesus says, and my burden is light. Come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. See, we come to Jesus tired and hungry, physically and spiritually. It was true of these folks in Mark 6. It's true of us today. But fortunately, Jesus feeds us physically and spiritually. Right? He gives us daily bread. What's more, right, his extraordinary care of us comes to us so very often through ordinary means. Right? His extraordinary care comes to us ordinarily. Man can't live on bread alone, Jesus says in Matthew 4. And in the words of John Foreman, who's the lead singer of the rock band Switchfoot, he would put it this way. He's like, we were made to live for so much more, right? Living without meaning or purpose or hope is hardly living. But even though man can't live on bread alone, Jesus is not denying our need for bread. Right? We can't live on it alone, this is true, but we can't live without it either. We need both. When the crowds show up in Mark 6, they're physically tired and they're physically hungry. Right? And the disciples are too. Jesus doesn't ignore their hunger. He doesn't downplay it and he doesn't denigrate them for it. Instead, what Jesus does is he answers it. And he meets their needs. And he doesn't pray on their hat, on, he doesn't pray on their heads and baptize their poverty and say, be well, and then go on his way. Instead, what Jesus tells them to do is to sit on their very physical bums, rest on the very physical grass, and eat the very physical food that's set before them. I'm reminded of something that his brother, Jesus' own brother, James, writes in his own letter, which you can read later. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily bread, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, and be filled, without giving them the things that they need for their body, what good is that? It's not much good, right? Jesus doesn't just pray for them when he sees their physical hunger. He gives them food to eat. He meets their physical, material needs. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we have physical needs that we're asking Jesus to meet as well. Now, mind you, we're praying for daily bread, not daily cake. Right? When we pray for daily bread, not daily cake, we're not asking for Porsches and for Gucci and for caviar on toast. We're asking for food in our belly, for clothes on our back, and for a roof over our heads. Daily bread, not daily cake. And Jesus encourages us to ask for these things, for food in our belly, for clothes on our back, for a roof over our head. One, because our Father loves us, and He cares about us. And His care and concern extends to these things. But secondly... Because his love doesn't stop there. He cares for us holistically, both body and soul. Look at verses 32 to 34 again. I'll read it out loud. It says, And they, that's Jesus and his disciples, they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Again, remember, they think they're going on a retreat. 
Now many saw them going, and they recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns, and they got there ahead of them. Now when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Okay, it says in the Bible that when Jesus saw this tired and hungry crowd, he had compassion on them because they seemed to him like sheep without a shepherd. Now, compassion is not just an inner feeling. Compassion is something that works itself out and works itself out in love. If you want to put it this way, compassion is love with legs. It's love in action. It has hands and feet. Compassion moves us to move towards people who are suffering. And it moves us in their direction so that we can take their suffering on and eventually to take it away. And when Jesus looks on the crowds, it says that he has compassion. He doesn't just see a bunch of bodies who need food and drink. Jesus sees a bunch of men and women who are made in God's image. Image bearers of God who are harassed and helpless. He sees men and women who have been broken by the fall. Who are not just hurtful people. They are hurting people. They've been hurt. They've been beaten down by the world. They've been used. They've been abused. They're vulnerable. They are like sheep without a shepherd. They're easily misled. They're in danger. They're lost. He sees people who need green pastures, who need still waters, who need refreshment for their souls. So what does he do? What well, says move to compassion, Jesus, the good shepherd, doesn't just sit them down for lunch. He gives them a good word. He begins to teach them. It says in verse 34, he begins to teach them many things. Now, we don't have a lesson plan for Mark 6. We don't know exactly what he taught that day. But we have every reason to believe that what Jesus taught them that day is what he's been teaching us all along. And what he has taught five, for the first five chapters. Right? In Mark. God made a good world. That we broke it. But God is committed to saving it and committed to saving us. That he's promised to do so and did so a long time ago. And he's made good on his promise. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, believe, put your faith and trust in me, Jesus says. I'm here for you. God sent his son into the world. Indeed, Jesus, to seek and save the lost. To die for the forgiveness of our sins. To reconcile us to God to adopt us into his family. That we don't need to earn our salvation. We can receive it freely as a gift by simply receiving what Jesus is offering us, right? by putting our faith and trust in him. In all likelihood, this is what Jesus taught that day to a bunch of harassed and helpless sheep. This is what Jesus serves them. And it gets back to this question, okay, If Jesus is giving daily bread to a bunch of people who are hungry, thirsty, tired, how actually does he do that? How does he actually meet our basic needs? 
Well, here it's pretty straightforward. Spiritually, Jesus feeds us through the ordinary means of grace. What in the church we would say is Bible, sacraments, prayer. Jesus feeds us primarily, spiritually, He feeds us primarily by opening up the Bible to us, by preaching His Word to our hearts, by helping us to better understand it. That's how He fed the crowds there that day, and it's how He wants to give you your daily bread tonight and tomorrow and the next day. If you're going to be praying for daily bread, don't starve yourself, right? Get connected with an RUF Bible study. Get connected with a good local church that preaches the gospel week in and week out. Right? We here at RUF are, are here to help you to do both of those things. Um, as one author would write, he'd say, eat this book. And I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek because you can't really eat it, right? It, would not, it wouldn't go well. But on the one hand, I really do want you to get this inside of you, for you to meditate on it and to mull it over, right? Uh, To get it deep inside of you and let it fill you full. Eating this book really is part of your daily bread diet. But hear me again, you also have physical material needs. So again, we ask this question, How does Jesus meet the physical, material needs of his people? And I would say to you again, his very extraordinary care of us comes to us so very often through very ordinary means. Look at the text again, starting at verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, the hour is late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. They're hangry, right? He answers them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? There's probably some sarcasm there, right? And he said to them, patiently, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. So when Jesus tells his disciples to give the crowd something to eat, the disciples are incredulous. They say, in effect, uh, Jesus, uh, we don't have those kinds of resources. I don't think you have noticed that there are 5,000 men and maybe just as many women and children here. Uh, if we worked 200 for 200 days straight, we still wouldn't have enough cash to buy all these people food. We cannot feed these people. Sort of balls in your court, Jesus. Well, he lobs it right back. And he says, well, how many loaves do you have? Right? What do you have? Go and see. The disciples sort of drag their feet back to the boat, and they come back and they report what's there. It's their lunch. Five loaves, two fish. The lunch that they packed before they got in the boat and went on this retreat, what they thought was going to be a retreat, the lunch that they hadn't eaten yet. This is what Jesus wants them to feed the crowds with, right? The measly little lunch that they had packed for themselves. 
We know that no doubt Jesus performed a miracle that day. If Jesus did not get involved, 12 men would have eaten their lunch while 5,000 others would have starved. But instead, 5,000 plus ate and were satisfied. And what's more, there were 12 baskets full of food at the meal's end. 12 baskets full for every one of the disciples there right, who shared their lunch. What happened there was, without a doubt, an extraordinary feat. It was a miracle. However, I wonder if you were in the crowd that day, if you would have seen it that way. And my suspicion is, you wouldn't have noticed it really at all. It would not have seemed all that extraordinary to you if you were in the crowd that day. Because here's what you would have seen, and here's what you would have heard. First of all, you would have sat down in the grass with about 49 or 99 other people. You would have watched or heard Jesus say grace as he breaks pieces of bread and breaks pieces of fish and hands them to the disciples. The next thing you would see is one of the disciples coming up to you and giving you some broken fish and giving you some broken bread. And if you said, hey, whose food is this? The disciples would have answered to you, it's my food. It's my lunch. If you ask Simon, you ask Andrew, whose bread is this? Whose fish is this? Well, it's mine. It's Simon's. It's Andrew's. And not only that, not only is it their food, you're receiving it directly from their hands. So now you'd be eating the disciples' bread, and you'd be eating the disciples' fish, which you've received directly from them. So if I asked you, hey, who fed you today? Would you have said Jesus? Would you have said Jesus is feeding me? Now, maybe... But in all likelihood, you would have pointed to the guy who handed you his food that you received from this hand. Simon fed me. Andrew fed me. James fed me. John fed me. Almost anybody but Jesus. Here's the point. Jesus miraculously provides daily bread for 5,000 plus people in this passage. Right? We know that. But his extraordinary provision is mediated through very ordinary people. Ordinary people like you and me. His supernatural care for us seems to come to us very naturally. See, whether you've asked for it or not, Jesus has fed you today. You might say, well, how? Where? Give you a meal plan? Through points? Mom and Dad, Sodexo, Leonardo's. Whether you ask for it to not, whether you ask for it or not, Jesus has given you water today. Say how, where? Burlington Water Department, UVM Utilities. Whether you ask for it or not, Jesus has put clothes on your back. Well, how or where? Gap, anthropology, Walmart, you know, fill in the blank, J. Crew. Whether you ask for it or not, God has taken care of you today. He's given you what you need to survive today. He's put food in your belly and water down your throat. He's put clothes on your back and a roof over our head. 
He provides daily bread for his people. And so very often he does that through his people. And this brings me to our final point, which I'll keep very brief. Okay, like what happens to us when we start to pray in? And start praying this prayer, give us this day our daily bread. I think the first benefit that would come to us as we actually pray this prayer is that it would open our eyes to pay attention, to see our most basic needs. You see, we in this room are so used to our basic material needs being met that we hardly think about them anymore. We just take it as a matter of fact that we're going to have these things. Right? The things that we need most, the things that we actually need to survive, without which we will die, we simply don't think about. Now that is unusual. It's unusual for 2018. It's certainly unusual, right, in the grand scheme of human history. But we just don't really think a whole lot about it. Right? Food, water, clothes, shelter, we take these things for granted. And when we start to take these things for granted, we cease giving thanks for them. We cease appreciating the many ways that God has met our needs today. We cease appreciating for the ways that he does provide for us. And when this happens, when we stop saying thanks, we stop experiencing joy. As soon as we stop saying thank you, we stop enjoying things. And this is us. We are some of the richest people on the planet. And we are also some of the joyless. We are fat and happy people who are starving for joy. Praying this prayer is an avenue into healing. Give us this day our daily bread. When we start praying this way and we start asking or start paying attention to the food in our belly and the water in our cup and the clothes on our back and the roof over our head, even just with a thanks, thank you for these things, God, who can so often seem so far distant and removed, will all of a sudden be seen to be an active living, breathing reality in our lives who's caring for us like a good father could and should and does. Praying for daily bread will help us to see his hand in our lives more and more, which will make him seem closer and more real, which is what most of us want. We will see him more, we'll see his provision more, and we'll also see our abundance more. Because when we begin to start asking for daily bread, we're going to see not just the ways that he's given us what we most immediately need. We'll also see abundance. And when we begin to see abundance, we'll start to be generous. The biggest threat to generosity is feeling that you lack, that you don't have enough. I think when you start praying for daily bread, you'll see that you have more than enough. Twelve baskets full. Right? Something to share out of. This is one of those rare things that God actually says to put, you, put him to the test for. He says, bring your tithe, bring share, and bring it into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test as the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. He doesn't say this often in the Bible. Often he says, don't test me. Here he says, test me. Be generous. See if I'm not generous back. Last but not least, okay, when we let Jesus feed us, not just physically but spiritually, when we allow him to be the one to give us our daily bread, 
we'll be less likely to try to stuff our souls with other things that won't truly satisfy. Does that make sense? Let me say it again. When we let Jesus feed us spiritually, we'll be less tempted to try to fill our hole in our hearts and our inner stomachs with other things that won't truly satisfy when we've been fed by him first. When we let Jesus feed us first, we will learn the difference between working hard and being busy. They're not the same. When we let Jesus feed us, we'll learn the difference between working from rest versus working to get rest. Again, not the same. There is a way that leads to life, and there is one that leads to death. And Jesus will lead you on the path that leads to life. Right? He intends to feed you and feed you full and to give you rest. But there's a lot of benefits that Jesus intends to communicate to us by praying this petition. Give us this day our daily bread. So you all don't skip it. Don't look up and then look out and call it a day. Look in. Don't just pray that others would be fed. Feast yourself. Eat what you're trying to serve others. Right? Let Jesus minister to you too. Give us this day our daily bread. Give me this day my daily bread. Right? Look up, look out, look in. Let's pray now.